Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about going alcohol free, a new movement of people who are sober curious, the role of technology in our nights out and what can be gained from ditching the drink. So joining me this week is Millie Gooch. Millie is a journalist, author and founder of community The Sober Girl Society, which she describes as a happy place for sober and sober curious women to celebrate being hangover free. Her new book, The Sober Girl Society Handbook, comes out on the 14th of January 2021. This is, a, this is my 2021 thing. I'm actually trying to be better hydrated, but I've already neglected that this morning because I was like, oh, I don't really want to need a wee in the middle of the podcast. So. <laughs> oh, I don't mind if you go. That would be me if it's not you. <laughs> I'll be like, sorry, can I just pop off? <laughs> so I guess where I want to start, if that's okay, is can I ask you to tell us a bit about your kind of history with alcohol and how you came to give it up yeah of course so I started drinking when I went to uni so before uni I wasn't really a drinker a lot of my friends did the whole like 14 white lining drunker park but I actually didn't start drinking really until I went to university um and so then I became someone who all of a sudden had gone from not drinking at all to like binge drinking three four nights a week like I was the ultimate fresher Um, And I started working in different bars, in different clubs, and all of a sudden drinking just became this thing that I like adored. And at the time, this was when like Geordie Shaw was in its like real like infancy. So we used to, you know, think it was great to go out and get absolutely mortal and not think about the consequences at all. Mm -hmm. So I suddenly became this like ultimate party girl. And then towards the end of uni, I kind of noticed that I was like blacking out more. I was waking up in places that I didn't want to, spending my whole weekend hungover, like failing a little bit at uni. And I just carried on with that kind of habit. So like I left university, I started working in PR, then I worked in journalism and the blackouts got worse and a bit scarier. The hangover anxiety became sort of like crippling. So my beer fear wasn't just Sunday for a few hours feeling a bit on edge. It was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday thinking, what have I done? Who have I offended? Who have I upset? Um, And I had this kind of like underlying sadness all the time as well. And I never really pinpointed it to my drinking. I was just like this kind of goldfish who would go out on Friday, be hungover Saturday, Sunday, and then, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday would just start feeling better again. And Thursday, I'd be like, I know what I want to do. I want to go out and drink. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of 
it, it before I even realized alcohol kind of become something that I felt like I needed rather than like I even wanted anymore I, I felt like I needed it for confidence I felt like I needed it for like social anxiety um it just became this like thing that I needed and I'd never needed it before I'd started drinking um so I went I went through a really bad breakup towards the end of like 2017 and my drinking just escalated so I was out every weekend because of course that is how we are taught to deal with heartbreak is to you know go out and drink as much so that you forget they even exist Mm -hmm. but it just made me feel more miserable and worse and I was just at like a really really low point and I went out on a night out on uh, February 2018 and I woke up the next morning. I don't remember any of my night. My friend told me that I tried to throw her burrito out of an Uber window. And that is like, that is all the, the anecdotes from that night. A crime. Yeah, exactly. It's such a <laughs> reckless, careless attitude towards Mexican food. And I woke up the next day and just thought, I had a text as well from someone who I couldn't have picked out of a lineup that said, like, it was nice to meet you. You were so drunk last night. And I just thought, oh, my oh. God. And I remembered that a few weeks before I'd read this um, article in Stylist, um, and it was an interview with a woman called Catherine Gray, and she'd just written a book called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. So I thought, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to download that audiobook that I read about. And reading that book just changed my opinion on sort of like not drinking and sobriety altogether I up until that moment had never ever thought that like not drinking was something I could do I'd always kind of thought drinking was something I needed to moderate or I I needed to learn to make work in my life like I needed to cut down I never even thought I could just take it off the table together for some unknown reason that thought just didn't really occur to me Mm. um so that day I said I'm never drinking again of course, I told all my friends and they thought it was hilarious because I'd probably said that about 72 times up at that point. Yeah. Um, but that that was it, that I decided that I was never drinking again and stuck to it. And here we are three years later. <laughs> God, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Like, you, it's, you kind of laughed when you said it because it is that typical thing, isn't it, of like, it's the thing people say when they've got a really bad hangover. They're like, oh, I'm never drinking again. But you know that that is an actual possible thing that you can decide to do yeah it seems like just a throwaway comment I mean if you I, I keep all my whatsapp conversations if I search I'm never drinking again I, I, it brings up so many conversations where I've said it over and over again I think that was, I mean it's amazing that you actually then did do that I'm quite um I'm quite interested in what you say about hangover anxiety and that kind of the role that that had in your decision not to drink because it's something that I do hear talked about a lot and I've thought about this before because weirdly I I don't think I get hangover anxiety and I can't decide whether that's because I just don't or because I generally have so much anxiety that it just doesn't really differentiate (laughs) itself from one to the next um but I know that this is a real thing and there's the friends of mine who you know, talk about hangover anxiety and you do get that real sort of feeling of dread that then comes on a hangover. Would you say that makes up a good percentage of people who you speak to who kind of, is that quite a common motivating factor in the decision to stop drinking? Yeah, 100%. I would say the amount of people who say to me that hangover anxiety and like the after effects are kind of what stops them drinking is 
and I see so many people like I think as well the more we've kind of spoken about mental health the more people are happy to talk about anxiety and now the more Mm -hmm. we're happy to talk about hangover anxiety so I would say like yeah the most of the people who come to me I think because I talk about it quite a lot just really identify with that kind of part of the story Mm -hmm. yeah I think it is one of those things isn't it like when you start talking about some areas of mental health it kind of knocks on and you end up talking about other areas but yeah I just I think that's I think that's really great that you know there's enough conversation around mental health that people are feeling more kind of confident in their decision to base it on their own mental health and have people you know that's the reason that they give you know I'm not drinking for my mental health and you know feel confident to be able to say that to people yeah I think it's so like such a change now um could you tell us a bit more about sober girl society and how you came to set that up and kind of what what would you say is the main kind of role of that community now for you yeah so when I was um I was about seven months sober and I'd kind of got to the point with sobriety where I was I was really loving it and I just felt like there was kind of something that I wanted to kind of hold me to carrying it on I think at that point I could have thought right I'm either gonna go back and we can just keep doing this in a loop or I can really stick with this and at the time I didn't know a single other person who didn't drink let alone like one who was kind of like my age working in London still going out still wanted to have fun so I thought I know why don't I like set up an Instagram page because I'd followed people like anti-diet riot club and kind of like communities who all had like a special interest in common Mm -hmm. so I thought I'm going to set up this page maybe we could just kind of like talk about sober dating maybe we could talk about the best non-alcoholic wine and I thought maybe there'd be like 15 20 of us maybe we could meet up and have a coffee in London and all of a sudden it just like boomed and more and more people started coming to the page with their kind of like different experiences of alcohol and not drinking and sobriety literally all over the world I just kind of intended it to very uh, very like local things so then we started running events and meetups because a lot of people don't necessarily want to go to AA and want to do 12 steps so we wanted to offer like a different type of community that people could just come meet other people who were doing their same things as them show them that they could still have fun without drinking so we do like a bottomless boozeless brunch so it's exactly the same just as rowdy as any bottomless brunch that you go to but Mm -hmm. no one throws up in a Bellini jug so that's always a good thing exactly Um, and we do like dancing events as well because one of the the big things that I hear from people is how my gonna dance now that I don't drink (laughs) yeah I've heard that before yeah so we do things like that and you know we run virtual things we do like a pen pal scheme so the whole the whole point of it really is for people to find friends because I always say look my friends were so supportive and I'm very lucky because I know not everyone's friends kind of like get on board with this but even still it's like if you're the only single one in your friendship group it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if all your friends are like marriage and with kids they could be as lovely and as supportive to you as possible but they don't get what it's like to be the only single one so my friends didn't get what it was like to be a sober one they couldn't give me advice on these kind of things so it felt really important to me to meet other people who I could talk to about this sort of stuff and then I found such like greatness in that that I wanted other people to experience it too so yeah connection is like the the main part of the community and just speaking to each other about each other's experiences holding each other accountable and just showing that there's other people doing it and that you're not like on your own or some kind of like weirdo because you don't drink 
Yeah, I can imagine that's really helpful for anyone in that kind of position. I mean, I think in any position, really, it's always nice to be able to find people who are in a in a similar similar situation to you. Um, when you describe sober girl society, um, you say it's for sober and sober curious people, which isn't really a kind of term that I've come across before. So, how would you maybe describe somebody who is sober curious and? how do they tend to engage with the or community? So this is actually a very interesting question because sober curious has kind of like taken on a new meaning. So it was actually coined by Ruby Warrington, who's got a book of the same name, Sober Curious, which is a great read. And she kind of talks about sober curiosity as, you know, your your default is kind of like sobriety. But then if you want to say like have a glass of wine at Christmas or you're at a gig and you want a couple of beers, then you might do that. But it's more questioning everything to do with your relationship with alcohol. Like why are you drinking? Are you drinking because you want to celebrate? Are you drinking because you're kind of like stressed and, and or bored? But then the other kind of side is that sober curious is just people who are curious about going sober long term. So they're saying, Mm -hmm. you know, like I've done a month, I'm thinking about doing it longer. So actually, there's like two meanings of sober curious. So we kind of encompass all of them. And we also use the word mindful drinker, which is kind of more, it's bigger in the UK than it is in the US, which is just being a lot more mindful about your alcohol consumption. So like, again, Mm -hmm. thinking about the motivations behind your drinking, are you drinking and making this like a negative coping mechanism or are you drinking because you're raising a toast because you've got like a job promotion so there's like that's a real aspect of it as well so the community kind of incorporates everyone like I have no desire to convert everyone in the world to sobriety that's not my goal I just want to show people that actually if you want to cut down or you want to take a month off or you just want to know more about alcohol and what it actually does to your body then you can come you can learn those things And then if you want to leave, you can, if you want to come back at some point. So we get people who like come in January, leave, come back in October. So they're your kind of like sober, curious audience. But a lot of people say, you know, like I've got no intention to stop drinking full time, but I like seeing your posts because it like reminds me to kind of like keep my drinking in check. So, I mean, I'm a massive like harm reduction advocate, even just like dry January. I'm a big fan of taking 31 days off, resetting your relationship, all those things I'm like a huge fan of. I was going to ask you how you felt about dry January as we are, you know, in the midst of January now. It's like, it's that kind of thing. And I've seen a lot of people talking about dry January this year, mainly because, so we're both in the UK and just going into another several weeks of lockdown. And I've I've actually had the conversation with someone who was kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's dry January out the window. And I think it's such a it's such an interesting conversation to have because there's so many kind of like nuances to it in terms of on the one hand you know I'm thinking if you know having a glass of wine having a however you drink you know if that's something that you enjoy I'm sort of at the opinion of the opinion at the moment that this is no time to be putting you know additional restrictions on yourself if you know we're already going through so much as it is However, it does kind of bring up that thing of like, okay, but are you drinking to cope your way through lockdown? Which again, like no judgment from me, but also is that the healthiest way to do things? Yeah, 
It's, it's a completely nuanced conversation. You have got like both sides of it. And one of the tricky things is like we are noticing a lot of people are using it as like a coping mechanism, which like you say, is completely fine. But then we're noticing a lot of people have increased their drinking since the last lockdown. And then will it increase again this one? And then does that healthy, like unhealthy coping mechanism become your main unhealthy coping mechanism? Mm-hmm. And then does it get worse from there? But then there's also like the wider conversation of, you know, there's a lot more people drinking in, in lockdown and the NHS are experiencing the fallout of that when they already have like a lot to do actually alcohol can make your anxiety worse if you're already feeling really anxious and you're struggling with your mental health in lockdown you might think it's a good coping mechanism at the time it's not always um you know for your immunity like alcohol is so good for cutting out of your like for your health for your immune system and staying healthy so there's there's so many like different parts of the conversation that it is really tricky I don't think we should like discourage people from doing dry January and I think it's also really interesting like when we talk about alcohol as like cutting it out as a restriction I always used to think this way I always used to think like it's a complete restriction but actually you realize that you gain quite a lot as well so you gain like more energy more time more clarity more money all those kind of things we always see it as like a restriction and that's like a real mindset shift that I've even had to go through is actually it's not a restriction it's freeing for me because I've like got less anxiety my mental health is better like I wake up fresh in the morning and don't feel like ashamed of my behavior the night before so for me it's like not a restriction so I think like that has been like a big kind of like mindset shift as well yeah it is it's really interesting hearing you talk about it because it instantly kind of makes me realize the ways that I think about drinking so it's kind of even how you said before you know you just never considered the fact that not drinking was an option yeah I don't know it's just it's it's a weird one when you've never come across it and yeah I think reframing it as you know what you would gain by not drinking yeah and even having that reset of you know taking some time off I think could be could be a real good thing it's a good way to think about it that you don't hear too much of I don't think yeah um so your community is based around women and women Mm -hmm. abstaining from alcohol do you tend to find that I mean is there kind of a specific reason for that do you think that women's relationship with alcohol tends to be different or is that just kind of the community that you have built around your own experience yeah I mean that is the community I've built around my experience but there is also a complete lack of male communities in this kind of like sober sphere online I think again because a large part of it is the mental health angle now women are still like first ones in the conversation about mental health so I think that has been a thing but there is a lot of theories about the way that men and women drink differently so the idea is that women drink more for emotional reasons so for stress relaxation having kids that kind of thing whereas men will drink more socially like that's one of their main reasons so when they're with the lads and they're out with the boys that that tends to be when they will drink more I mean this is very like loose theory there's no nothing to say you're a man you drink this way you're a woman you drink that way Mm -hmm. but that's kind of like the rough idea and I mean also alcohol does affect women differently our genetic makeup means that even if I drink exactly the same as a man I am more at risk of the damage of it just because of my genetics and my body fat and water percentage and also women don't have an enzyme that men have that helps break down alcohol so we are more at risk so I think in that case we are suffering more of the consequences and 
I mean, there's also a whole other wider conversation of like vulnerability and, and things like that. I know that I put myself in a lot of dangerous situations and things like that. It's, it's again, that is a very wide nuanced conversation, but I mm-hmm. think women are just leading this kind of movement. And I, th- I, I think men will follow. I've seen a lot more men talking about sobriety this year than when I first set up Sober Girl Society. Mm. But I still think it's like, it's not very, in, in a lot of men's eyes, I imagine it's not seen as very manly to stop drinking, which is a problem in itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's ugh, countless things that are all tied up in the hell of toxic masculinity. It's not hard to imagine that this would be another one of them. Yeah. I think it's like, it does make me think when I think about, you know, women's drinking culture, that there is, aside from, you know, like bottomless brunches and all that kind of thing that you kind of touched on before, there's that sort of picture now of like the like wine mum kind of thing that people are quite happy to make a joke out of and it being like, you know, sneaking to the fridge for a chardonnay in the middle of the afternoon because your kids are driving you mad and it's kind of you you get it to a point because it's kind of like I don't know people being open about the fact that you know parenting children is really hard but also do you think that just makes it more acceptable for people to kind of foster these unhealthy coping mechanisms like it seems to be such an acceptable thing in society even when you're kind of portraying not necessarily a healthy way to be drinking yeah I mean again like this kind of mummy wine culture was born out of like a good place because it was when like social the kind of mummy wine culture on social media because it it was born when mums were starting kind of parenting content and everything looked perfect and you know like all your children were dressed up nicely and your house looked amazing and Mm -hmm. then there was kind of like this rebellion against it of like actually this is what it's like to be a mum here's my like crayons up the wall here's me drinking wine at three o'clock so it came from like a really good place Mm -hmm. and actually I really recommend there's a platform called Love Sober run by two mums which if you are a mum listening like is a great platform they talk about all of these things they've taught me a lot on it and it's very that's kind of where it came from it was supposed to be a really good positive thing of like hey we're not perfect this is how we're parenting yeah now it has just snowballed and snowballed the alcohol industry have you know gotten onto it there's like mummy juice it's it's rolling and rolling and it is becoming more dangerous I think it was born out of a really good place but it is getting to the point where it is being really, really pushed as a coping mechanism. And I wouldn't say it is the healthiest one. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of, I. it brings to mind conversations and kind of definitely I think people are becoming more aware of alcohol as a coping mechanism. Because I, I mean, I can even just think now of conversations I've had where I or a friend or whoever has been upset about something and we'll be talking about something and be like, oh, I need a drink. And then we'll say the conversation and be like, but actually that's not how we deal with our problems and kind of say it in kind of a jokey way, but sort of you catch yourself doing it and it's so easy to do of like something's upset you. Oh, I'll just go and get a drink because, you know, that might take the edge off or whatever. And you re- once you realise you're doing it, it does feel... I mean, sometimes you just have a drink anyway because you want one. Me speaking, obviously. Um, but yeah, I think being aware that it is a coping mechanism Mm. because I feel like when it it takes a while in your life sometimes to kind of get to know yourself well enough that you can recognize your own behavior in that way like 
I think especially when you're younger and like at uni for example like when you were saying that your relationship with alcohol became quite different you're kind of only just starting any of these things and you're only just starting an adult life and you kind of you don't know what your coping mechanisms are going to be so it can be can take a while to kind of get a handle on what you're doing and recognize it in yourself yeah I the thing is I always say like that to me there isn't necessarily a healthy way to drink but there is like definitely a healthier way and the whole point of like mindful drinking or sober curiosity is exactly what you said is to be aware of it I was so unaware of it I was so like mindlessly drinking whereas if you can catch yourself doing that that's half the battle because the healthier way to drink is to drink because you're happy and you're celebrating and you love that glass of wine you love the taste of it you know the the bad unhealthy coping mechanism is to be like I'm so stressed I want to drink and numb it out because we're, we're teaching each other now you know sit with your feelings deal with it sit with your feelings but mm-hmm. knocking back a glass of wine isn't sitting with your feelings because it's going to numb that and it's going to dampen that so yeah that's how you start making unhealthy coping mechanisms and and like you said if you catch yourself that's that's half the battle of okay I'm actually drinking this because I want this drink or am I drinking it because I'm trying to avoid feeling something else yeah it's so true so I've been reading and research coming up for this podcast and there is a lot of research that says overall people but mostly young people around the world are drinking less particularly in cultures that have a very alcohol-based social culture, which is not just me making things up, but things I've read in research. <laughs> so countries like like the UK, we definitely have drinking culture. Um, Australia is well known for it, but also countries that I didn't really know about, like Sweden and Canada, who apparently have very similar drinking cultures to us. Um, across the board, it seems like young people in particular are drinking less. And I think, I mean, there must be myriad reasons for this, but I read an interview that you did and it was such a light bulb moment because I'd never thought about it in this way where you linked young people drinking less to smartphones. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, of course. Like, it's so true the way that things are different now compared to like when I went to uni, for example. Um, and you know, for the benefit of everyone else who hasn't read this interview, so what you're saying about smartphones is that now, basically, young people, you're surrounded by cameras and camera phones, and rather than it maybe just being like a blurry still photo of you, an absolute mess, like when I went to uni, there can now be, you know, HD quality full video recordings on the internet within seconds of any of your drunken behaviour, which I was just kind of like, that's so true and so terrifying and I'm not surprised that young people are reining themselves in a bit more do you think that's a good thing we have such that you know such bad social media rap but do you think it's holding people accountable in a good way yeah quite possibly I mean when this is it's a topic that I would love to explore more because it, hang, hangover anxiety is kind of like coming to the forefront now and I have kind of questioned well why has this like not always been a thing like surely we used to experience this but not a lot of older people ever cite this as a reason that they stopped drinking a while back. And I started thinking about it and like looking into it. And 
I kind of thought about my my drinking at uni and and that was you know we all had digital cameras like just but they were very like grainy and this is like mm-hmm. you'd probably smash them in your bag but you would take them out and then get a few blurry pictures it would be dark and then the next day someone would have to manually upload those to Facebook so if you did wake up with a raging hangover and you could say actually could everyone please just check those pictures I don't want them up Whereas when I started waking up when I was like 25, 26, I was like, okay, someone's going to have snapped me and I'm going to be on the man online weeing on the street on the sidebar of shame. Like someone's going to have uploaded a, you know, Instagram video of me falling off a table and everyone's going to have seen it. And there was all these like, and even like texting your ex, we've all done it. Like I imagine people 30 years ago didn't get drunk and text their ex and then have really bad hangover anxiety about it the next day. So I, I do think, yeah, it is probably holding people accountable and I've I've seen a few similar stories that kind of say like smartphones are to blame because everyone wants to look really polished in their Instagram pictures and I, I don't think it's that I don't think it's just about like the way we want to appear and look I think it's more we're actually worried about the content that could go out there of us so yeah I do think it could be holding people accountable yeah I think that I mean that sounds right to me I'm kind of trying to imagine and like how the scenario would go because I feel like that was always the way anyway wasn't it like in terms of you know being at uni or going on a night out or whatever you'd kind of get ready at the beginning of the night maybe like take some pictures like with your friends to be like oh we all look nice because we've just got ready and nobody's hair's gone flat yet and it's all like it's all looking nice and then you go out and get blind drunk and not worry about it and I feel like that you know would probably still be mainly the case now as in like you take your Instagram pictures at the beginning of the night and then crack on and forget about it. So I think you're right. I think it probably is more the like documenting of behavior and it's so much easier to get a video now rather than just pictures. Yeah. I think you mentioned earlier and I wanted to ask you about, um, I feel like there's been a big rise recently in kind of non-alcoholic spirits and kind of like alcohol alternative drinks which I have to say as somebody who does drink I have kind of looked at and thought you know well if you don't want to drink why do you need like the kind of false version of it and then I realized how hypocritical that was because it's exactly the same conversation that I've had with people around so I don't eat meat anymore but I really enjoy you know an impossible burger like fake meat substitutes and it's the same thing really isn't it like it's not necessarily that you don't enjoy the thing as to why you give it up do you kind of welcome that thing of like the alcohol alternatives and like alcohol free spirits or do you think that's needed yeah I mean I always use the meat analogy actually when people ask me about them the other ones I use are decaf coffee like why is that in existence because people like coffee they just don't want the anxiety that coffee sometimes brings and the other one is like fake Christmas trees it's like well you still want to be part of the celebration you still want to enjoy it but you just don't necessarily want all the mess and the stuff that comes with it so so that is a good one yeah but I, I use both of those and they and then people go oh yeah okay actually I get it those two normally work if you're ever stuck for them but I mean I, I at the start for me they were an absolute lifeline because I would go to a party I could take like a I mean, there wasn't really that much around when I first stopped three years ago because there's been an absolute boom, but I could take like at the time a crate of Bex Blue and people would just kind of like give it a side glance, but they wouldn't be like, oh, what are you drinking? 
and it just kind of like made me feel part of it and that you you still want to have like a fun adult drink and it can still be glamorous and it can still be lovely it just doesn't have to have the after effects and I did like the taste of some alcohol I did like I I liked beer and I liked spirits so those kind of like I mean they say fake drinks but they're just drinks without the alcohol removed yeah exactly I I really like them some people do find them triggering so they they do avoid them but for me they've been really helpful if I'm like at a wedding and then I can raise a glass of non-alcoholic Prosecco instead of being like oh my water then that that's really helpful so for me they're like a lifeline if I'm on a night out on a date at least you can have like a sophisticated soft drink yeah it makes a lot of sense I think yeah as soon as you talk about it and like rationalize it compared to something else it makes total sense but I have to say it was one of those things where I was like well you know having having a glass of not gin gin does that not just make you want a glass of gin but actually thinking even about myself I'm like does having a non-meat burger make me want a burger no it doesn't at all so it makes makes a lot of sense um kind of how you're saying about like you know having a drink and raising a glass at a wedding for example kind of leads into part of the kind of societal expectations of like times when you would drink and when I put questions out for people to send in questions for the podcast for you, it was, you know, probably by far and away the most common question was, you know, what do you say to people when they expect you to drink and you don't want to? Which I thought we'll just put in this big main part of the podcast because I'm sure there's a lot of different a lot of different advice. But I think it seemed to be like a range of the situations fr- kind of from because you just don't want to drink and you don't want people to keep hassling you about it or because you're maybe like out with people from work and you just don't want to get into it at all is that you know a common a common thing that people come to you for advice on yeah always and I I mean I always say if people ask you as well I have like a I just read off how people ask me as well if so many people ask me in a genuinely interested way so I wouldn't ever want to like shut down a conversation and be like it's none of your business why I'm not drinking because Mm -hmm. so many people are genuinely interested and when I tell them I just say actually it's making me feel really shit I was really miserable I was getting really bad hangover anxiety they're like oh fair enough that's great I'm thinking about doing dry January if someone asks me in like a really rude patronizing way of like oh ha ha how boring I just don't even bother going into it I it's really hard at the beginning when people are questioning your decision and you're not strong enough in it yet but it just does get easier that's the only thing I would say is even if you're not like gonna not drink full time but you're gonna start not drinking at more social occasions it will still get easier once people get used to you not doing that it's just at first everyone will try to peer pressure you but how how much I tell people about why I'm not drinking totally depends on like how I'm asked the question Mm -hmm. have you got any kind of stock responses for those those kind of situations where people are like oh apart, apart from you know if you're quite open with the person like you say you talk about your anxiety would there be any kind of other blanket responses just as a, a very easy brush off for a work colleague for example I mean I always say like at the at the beginning now people know so they they don't ask me but at the beginning I'd say oh you know I've got something really important in the morning that I need to do people 
that's one that they tend to not push on as much. Don't ever say antibiotics because people will just say, oh, you can drink on most antibiotics now. And don't say I'm driving because people will be like, oh, you can just leave your car here. I'll, I'll bring you back in the morning. So, I mean, even just I'm not drinking right now. I'm having a break. If someone asks me in a really rude way and they say, like, why aren't you drinking? I'll say, well, why are you drinking? And then just watch them have a think about that. And then you can just dart off quickly somewhere else. That <laughs> just, escape. just be like, bye. Um, and if someone says, you know, like, oh, you're really boring, you say, well, I don't need alcohol to have fun. So how does that make me boring? Like, it makes you more boring if you're saying you can only have fun when you're drinking. And then people are like, oh, okay, yeah, and they think about it. But I, I, I think normally saying, like, you've got something on in the morning is always a good one. And I would actually say book something in the morning so that that's a genuine thing. And also that will help keep you accountable if you're like, well, I actually can't drink because I've got to get up tomorrow because I've promised my friend I will go for a walk with her at 7 a.m., that's that's like an extra help for you as well yeah that's so true you know it's like the double whammy of getting people off your back and keeping yourself on track I guess I've definitely used the antibiotics one before it's a funny one especially for for a lot of women I think because one of them the most common things is like people just assume you're pregnant which like which again is such a like a kind of invasion of privacy and sort of like speculating about things but I think it's the very fact that people need an excuse not to be drinking in the first place is so like indicative of of the way that we are yeah but yeah I have definitely used the antibiotics one before not because I was pregnant but because it just seemed a bit easier than saying actually I've had a really bad stomach all week and I think I'll feel really sick if I have a drink (laughs) like it just you shouldn't need an excuse at all but I think it is I think it's useful to kind of have that discussion you know whether it's you know me asking you for advice examples or just having it in advance in your head and thinking rather than getting caught off guard when someone says why aren't you drinking know what you're going to tell them and just feel a bit more secure in your decision beforehand yeah I think it's so interesting what you say as well about like you shouldn't need an excuse it's like if I said to you why aren't you smoking it well it's obvious why you're not smoking because you've probably like given it up you don't smoke it's bad for your health you don't you don't need a reason why you're not smoking whereas when when you say why aren't you drinking you do have to in everyone else's eyes have a valid reason yeah it's true I have someone I know actually once once said to me who they they weren't drinking on a night out not because they had an issue but I think it actually genuinely was because they had something else in the morning um that said that they'd figured out that the best thing to say to people was oh I don't drink anymore because that anymore implies that there was previously a problem and people go, oh, oh okay, sorry I asked, sorry yeah. I asked kind of thing. So I think, yeah, coming up with your kind of ultimate get out line is, uh, is probably a useful thing to, to have. Yeah, and you can laugh about it too. I always say, look, it's just safer for the two of us that we don't drink because otherwise we'll end up on a five-day bender and you won't come home for a while. So you can always joke about it. Yeah, I think, I think make, making a laugh out of it maybe might make it easier in some cases. Yeah. Saying that though, this is the thing, I don't, when, when we're kind of saying, you know, oh, it can be funny and it can be really lighthearted. And obviously if you're maybe sober curious and it's not like a huge thing for you, but you just think it might be nice not to drink as much, that's all well and good. However, alcoholism itself, you know, is a disease and is a very serious thing. And I don't want to, you know, make light of that overall in the podcast. Do you think that the conversation we're having around alcohol at the moment is 
very distinct from a traditional conversation about alcoholism do you think that a lot of the people who we're now talking about you know going alcohol free are alcoholics do you think that's a separate issue from people who just have problem drinking is that still the conversation that we're having around alcoholism I think the conversation is really changing I think People are talking more now about kind of like problematic drinking and alcohol use disorders as kind of like a spectrum. So like wherever you are, you might be like a grey area drinker, you might be a binge drinker. I think traditionally we've always thought you're an alcoholic or you're not. And now we're kind of talking about how maybe not using the term alcoholic is not necessarily helpful. So in a lot of like the medical literature, they use alcohol use disorder um, and because in that way we kind of think oh well I can keep drinking because I'm not rock bottom yet I'm not one of those alcoholics and you keep drinking and you keep drinking until your body becomes alcohol dependent whereas that that, so the previous conversation was I can keep drinking and I'll be fine I'm not one of them I'm not on a park bench now and now we're actually realizing drinking problems come in all different shapes and sizes you don't have to be that stereotypical rock bottom park bench and actually those terms might not necessarily be helpful because so many are of us keep drinking and keep drinking because we say well I'm not an alcoholic so I'm fine like we use it as a term to justify it all the time oh well I can keep drinking I'm not an alcoholic I'm not there yet but you'll be there before you realize it if you keep drinking keep drinking until your body anyone in the world can become dependent on alcohol if you drink enough of it it's not these specific people are alcoholics and these people aren't I mean that that's the kind of it's it's a much wider conversation it's kind of going on at the moment of what terms should we be using is are they actually helpful or are they problematic so I think the conversation is definitely changing that alcohol problems can come in all shapes and sizes yeah I mean it's a question that came to mind for me because and obviously I won't mention any names but I have a friend and one of their parents is an alcoholic and has been for many years and I know how difficult that is and how serious it is and it just it somehow feels like a separate conversation to what we're having about you know like young women's drinking for example but do you think it is the case that a lot of people who start to have issues with their relationship with alcohol in maybe their 20s for example will then go on to have a more serious alcohol problem later or do you think it can kind of level out yeah I mean it it can level out and it can carry on and get worse I think like really serious drinking problems don't just start one day and that's it they start slowly and then they creep up on you and and then that's it so I think it, it, you know, it's such a difficult conversation. I'm not necessarily the person to go into all of the specifics about it, but people are kind of talking about about the fact now that we should be recognising that actually, you know, getting there before it gets that bad might actually mm-hmm. be a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be useful, or I don't know if it's even possible to generalize like this, but if people are listening and kind of wanting to take stock of their own relationship with their drinking, are there any kind of, not red flags necessarily, but kind of markers that you would encourage people to sort of ponder on and that might indicate that you have more of a problematic relationship with alcohol? 
Yeah, I think probably thinking about like the times that you're drinking, if you're drinking in the day, that's normally a bit of a red flag. If you're drinking a lot on your own at home, could be a bit of a red flag. Again, thinking about the reasons for your drinking, are you drinking as a really unhealthy coping mechanism? I would say that they would probably be three quite key things to look out for. Okay, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's it's just good to know and kind of like try and quantify some of those things sometimes. Um. One thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I feel like the biggest conversation that I've heard recently around alcohol has been about the Queen's Gambit. Mm. Have you watched it? I have watched it. Yes. Great, great TV. So I've seen so much conversation about this and obviously I won't, you know, give anything more away if people haven't seen it. However, you know, the main character has an a bad relationship with alcohol and other substances and I've seen like really varied conversation around it from some people on the one hand saying it's a really you know inaccurate depiction of an alcoholic um and you know well she's still you know she's young and she gets up and looks perfect on the outside and blah 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 and on the complete other hand saying no actually that's quite accurate for me and not all people who have a problem with alcohol are quote-unquote alcoholics and you know not everyone who has a problem with alcohol looks like an alcoholic which seems to be exactly what you're saying as well like I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on the show yeah exactly I think like as well as the word we've got like an idea of what they look like and you know I was very very functioning but inside I was so miserable and in this like spiral of of drinking and and I think I thought it was a very good accurate depiction of just you know how it can start quite small and all of a sudden you're relying on it more and you're relying on it more and you're relying on it more I mean I personally thought it was quite accurate at least I thought it was a good reflection of probably how bad my drinking was getting probably Mm -hmm. slightly worse but I think it it was a very good like an analysis of how it can get that bad and you not even realizing that you're relying on those things and again it was like how I was talking about social anxiety I, I, I didn't have social anxiety before I started drinking and then I would go out and then I would drink and then I would think okay well now I can't go out unless I drink and all of a sudden that becomes something that you have to have all the time and you feel like you won't be as sparkly without it you won't be as fun you won't be a great chess player and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it becomes something that you need and and it gets worse and worse and worse and then you find oh actually you're drinking here and then you're drinking there so I mean I thought it was quite an accurate one but I do totally see the feedback it's one of the most complicated conversations in the sober community but yeah I guess that's the the message overall isn't it really like it you don't have to be in a rock bottom place to feel like your drinking's out of control yeah. And I mean, like I always say, I'm, people can define themselves however they want. I don't, I don't care what labels people want to use. The only thing that I want to say is exactly that is that you don't have to wait until it gets like that bad. It'd be in the same way that if you're a smoker, you don't have to wait until, you know, one of your lung collapses. You can stop smoking if you think it's detrimental to your health and your well-being. So you don't have to wait until it gets to that point. And I think if we view it more like we do smoking, that would be really helpful for all of us. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions. And this week, the first one comes in from Sarah who asks, is it possible to be part-time sober? Drinking alcohol seriously affects my mental health, but I'd still like to enjoy its benefits from time to time. Is it possible to do both, or do you have to be completely teetotal to see real improvements in your well-being? Yeah, I mean, I think a sober-curious attitude is much better than a mindless binge-drinking attitude, so you're definitely going to get some of the benefits. There is a really good book, actually, called um, Drink by Professor Nutt, who was the government's ex-chief drug advisor but he also owns a wine bar so he talks very like matter-of-factly about alcohol and the whole book is basically how you can get the most of the benefits without you know causing any damage to your well I say any damage as little damage as possible I think again like you have to do what works for you if you think you can totally like do that with your relationship with alcohol I find like moderation just personally really exhausting so being like oh I'm only going to drink at this wedding and I'm only going to have two and then I'm only going to drink on Fridays and I'll only drink spirits kind of like having to put all those rules on myself and I always say like moderating alcohol is not like moderating biscuits so alcohol literally affects your prefrontal cortex which is the part of your brain that makes rational decisions so Even if you say, I'm only going to have two, when you have two, your brain is not working the same way that it was two drinks ago. So your willpower and your resolve are like not there anymore. So I personally find moderation quite hard. And for me, it's been more freeing just to be like, alcohol is off the table now. That's it, done. But if you can make it work for you, like make it work for you, as long as it's a healthier way of drinking, that I think is what's most important. I think as an interesting kind of wording in Sarah's question as well in terms of like enjoy the benefits of alcohol from time to time because now after we've just sat here for ages and talked about alcohol I'm thinking like what are the benefits for alcohol because I kind of I like I get it to a point like now I'm like or maybe she actually just enjoys I mean like there's no physical but like scientifically there are no physical benefits yeah interesting one thanks for that question Sarah very different tack so next question is from Becky who says I grew up in a religious home and only recently in my 30s began letting go of the stigma and enjoying alcohol. I feel a little like Benjamin Button going through life backwards. 
Do you ever encounter others who also feel a bit triggered by the idea of alcohol-free living? Yeah, I I think this is, again, what we were talking about back at the start about seeing it as a restriction and seeing it as like removing something from your life rather than actually you taking it out and it's great and you can have all this amazing stuff. So, I mean, I get that all the time. I get the pushback to alcohol-free living all the time I, I know that people can see it as like a restriction and and that it's like a really negative thing and that's like totally fine because like I said I'm not here to kind of like change anyone's you know outlook or their drinking habits I just want to show people that actually you can be sober you can have fun you can have all these great amazing things and alcohol doesn't have to be the default for celebration for commiseration um yeah that's I don't know if that really answers the question. I thought, well, I mean, I think it's an interesting question, which is why I wanted to ask it, because it's not a perspective that I've really come across before either in terms of, you know, maybe associating associating being alcohol free with the fact that other people have told you you're not allowed to do something, which I imagine is, you know, a very mind, a different mindset yeah. to come at it from. I feel like, Becky, if you were enjoying the way that you we're living and you don't feel like you have issues with it then I would say you know that's fine but also if you don't actually want to drink but the reason that you don't want to drink is kind of tied to this restrictive feeling then yeah I think you know Millie what you've said about reframing it as a the benefits that you get from not drinking rather than it being an oppressive kind of thing yeah and I, I would also say as well there is a whole alcohol industry out there that is trying to get you to drink and they are trying every tactic under the book they are marketing to you especially as a woman so it's actually quite rebellious to go against that and to not go with the cultural norm of getting completely out of it I mean if you're having like a negative relationship with alcohol the alcohol industry is getting money from that. They're getting money from you being sad and potentially doing damage to yourself. So you can actually rebel about that if you want to think that you want to be more free and you don't want people telling you what to do because we think we have a choice about drinking alcohol, but it's so around us everywhere. It permeates every part of our life that actually it's quite a radical choice to decide not to drink. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, this particular question is a lot of like, it really comes down to like the personal choice element. And I think maybe without without knowing more of the particular circumstances, I don't know whether we can yeah. give any, any more specific more specific an answer. But I hope I hope that that was a good enough answer for Becky. Next question is from Jean and I'm gonna read more of the intro to her question as well, because I think it helps it make sense. So Jean emailed and said I was talking to a sober friend about how experiencing my first year without alcohol during the pandemic has oddly proved a bit of a safety bubble for me. I haven't been put in social situations where I'm pressured to drink. I haven't been out dating. I also live alone, so I haven't had roommates that were drinking while in lockdown. So I still have many sober firsts to experience. And then she says, my question for Millie would be, do you have any advice about managing expectations when navigating sober firsts? 
I love how much more present I feel now I don't drink, but I get anxious thinking about all the things I've yet to experience booze-free. Yeah. I mean, I would say you, you've you put yourself in such good standing by doing this now. If you can get through a pandemic sober, you, you can definitely get through a brunch. Like, I'm telling you that for a fact. But I would say, like, don't put any pressure on yourself. When I first stopped drinking, I would say no to things that I really didn't want to go to. Um, but I would – I got a lot pickier as well. So – I would just kind of say like, oh, I will only go here if there's like a really good selection of alcohol-free drinks. And if I'm going to enjoy the music, I wouldn't put any set times on things. So I'd just say, I'm going to come for an hour. If I enjoy myself, I'll stay. If I don't enjoy myself, I'll leave. And I think the one thing you realize is that alcohol can make a crap party good. But a good party is a good party without alcohol. That's that's like the difference. So you will go to things and some will be awful and you will want to leave. And some you will go to and they will be amazing and you will love it and you will be like, this is the best decision I've ever made. And when you wake up the next day and you're hangover free and everyone else is suffering, you will feel really glad that you made that choice. So I would just say like, don't be too hard on yourself. If you go out and you don't have a good time, don't say, okay, well, every time is going to be rubbish now that I don't drink. Like you will go out and there will be times that you enjoy yourself. So don't put like too much pressure on yourself having a good time. Just go. If you're not enjoying it, then you can always leave. I think that's good advice. It's a good way to look at it as well. Exactly, exactly what you say, you know, you, can't, you can maybe fix a bad party with alcohol, but the good parties will still be good. Yeah. Agreed. So our last question is from Rachel, who says, I don't drink a ton and often find it hard to communicate to people why I don't enjoy getting drunk. I'm Australian, so drinking culture is pretty strong. And although I'm lucky to not be surrounded by people who peer pressure me, I'd love to better articulate my choices. In your experience, what have been the most noticeable benefits to sobriety And how do you walk the line of sharing those with others without them feeling like you're shaming them for their choices? Yeah, I mean, this is so cliche, but there isn't one part of my life that hasn't benefited from not drinking, whether that's like physical health, mental health, finances, friendships, relationships, like everything is better. And I honestly mean that. In terms of like sharing the benefits, I just think you have to like lead by example there's a particular thing with alcohol where if you start talking about how great your life is without it people will throw the word preachy at you that's just like something that you will probably get so I just tend to not even speak about it I speak about it all the time online and people will come to me if they want to if they don't want to that's absolutely fine but like in social circles I don't speak about it with like friends and family if they come and ask me that's like totally fair enough like I will find if I'm on a hen do at the very start, I will be like the boring one, the one that like, you know, people are like, why isn't she drinking? And by the end, about five people have approached me to ask like how they can be a non-drinker because they're so hungover from the weekend of like Hindus. So I would just say lead by example, show people that you can have a great time and people will take notice of that and be like, oh, she's got loads of energy. Like what's her secret? So that you, you can't, you can't ever convert anyone. So don't even try. It's a waste of your own energy, but you will naturally see that if you're just living this great, sober life people will start to gravitate towards that and and maybe ask you how you do it that's really nice and I think I mean what what Rachel's saying at the end as well of you know how do you not make other people feel like you're shaming them for drinking I think as you say you know if you're not walking into a room full of people drinking and going I don't drink you know and kind of (laughs) kind of making it 
making it a judgment call. I don't know. It's a weird one. I guess that will come from the people you're surrounded by as well. But like, for example, we've been sitting here having a conversation for like an hour about how you don't drink and drinking's bad for you. I drink and I don't feel particularly like shamed yeah. by you around this conversation. <laughs> I get to I exactly. But I think that's, you know, was one of the first things you said. It doesn't necessarily have to be about changing other people's choices or trying to be prescriptive to people. It's giving everyone the information so that they can make, you know, the most informed choices about their own behavior I think is the main takeaway yeah I mean how how do you treat it I'm gonna I'm asking you a question how do you treat it with like being vegan do you you don't walk into a room and go hi everyone I'm vegan now like, so I'm vegetarian veggie then um yeah exactly well yeah exactly but then yeah no it's yeah it's true that's it's funny isn't it I keep coming back to it there's so, there's so many different um ways that you can compare it's kind of food choices which now I'm like well it's a drink so that kind of makes sense but like I don't know I always think of when you talk about conversations about being alcohol free I think about alcohol like as a drug rather than as a beverage yeah. if, you, if you know <laughs> what I mean so I think it's yeah it's a fun it's a funny conversation to have but yeah I think it is kind of the same thing like you don't necessarily walk around like all the time spouting about things that you don't do trying to get other people to do them yeah and yeah I think I think what you were saying about you know how you know people people can look at these conversations and say oh well you know it's preachy or it's telling me to do this or telling me to do that I I rarely think that that is what anybody is doing when they're having these conversations like there will always be people who think that their way is the right way and think everyone should do what they do but honestly I think that's that's the beauty of like a lot of social media and the the different communities that you can kind of form is you can share information about what you're doing and invite people to join you without badgering people or bullying people to do the same thing as you yeah I talk about it freely on my page because I think well you followed me you're here you know what you're in for I don't go into people's inboxes and say oh I think you need to stop drinking like that isn't if you want to come and you want to listen you want to hear about the benefits great if you don't I'm not going to sit there with you like at boozy brunch and lecture you about your drinking that that's not why I'm here Remember, if you want to get in touch with us or have any questions for future episodes, email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. Before you go, I've got three things that I ask of every guest, and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about, could you please give us something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Yes, it's something to read. I think my publisher would tell me off if I didn't plug my own book at this point. So um, the Sober Girl Society. Plug away. <laughs> the Sober Girl Society handbook. Um, and actually in it, I've got a reading resource of like amazing Quitlet books that have helped me. So if you read my book, you can see all of those as well. Something to listen to. I mean, if you like a podcast, which I'm assuming you do because you're here, um, there are some great just alcohol specific podcasts. So Sober Curious, love sober seltzer squad three that are amazing and really helped me and then things to watch there's actually a really good bbc documentary uh called Haley goes sober which um one of my friends laurie is actually on talking about her journey and i think it's really good for anyone who's kind of like sober curious and wants to see it from like a really objective point of view i think that it's a very good documentary 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of Good Influence. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate and review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>